Welcome. Welcome everyone to the Seeker's Quest. It's good to be here with everyone. I'm here with Veda Sar and Chaitanya Charan, who we call CC. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Just got back from a little trip. Yeah, you are in Vermont, right? New England area. Yeah. Checking out Venus for uh, potential retreats. Yes, retreats for 2024. And we found this incredible place. It's called Mercy by the Sea. Oh. It's a Christian. Thank you. Christian retreat center that used to be a, a place for the nuns. So it's, it's really pristine, really well kept up. And they are booked all throughout the year. Somehow we got lucky in July 2024, 19th to 21st. We're doing our retreat there, so it has the it has the capability of hosting two hundred people. Wow! Is it actually by the sea? It is by the sea. It's they got their own private beach on the Atlantic Ocean. Wow! And it's thirty five acres. It's called Mercy by the Sea. It's really beautiful. That's amazing. I have to look it up. Maybe I have to come crash your retreat, Beta. Totally. Mark it on your calendar, July 19th. We want want, uh, yoga crashers. (laughs) crashers. That's great. CC, the video is working, I think. Are you having some technical difficulties, CC? You back. Okay, great. How are you? What's new with you? Yeah. Yes. I'm having a lot of trouble with all my devices. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My laptop, my well, phone, my tablet, my camera, all of them experience of bad karma. <laughs> <laughs> That's frustrating. I think something is working right now. Someone told me that. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Someone told me that CC was in Pune and he was doing a youth uh, program. I think there were like thousands of youth that came to listen to CC and everybody was giving him a, a, a royal a, a royal welcome there. Yeah, I see pictures of CC all the time doing his thing over there in India. And he's got like Tons of followers. You're like a celebrity over in India. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a wanted man. <laughs> well, yes, we are very fortunate. Wanted man, and a- <laughs> <laughs> we didn't hear that. Your connection. I'm a haunted, hunted, and wanted man. <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very grateful to get to have some of your time each week here. Um. Yeah. So maybe we should get into it here. We're going to talk about love again today. We've been talking about relationships for the past couple of weeks, maybe. Last session, we talked about saying no in love. We've talked about setting up boundaries in love. And today we're going to talk about um, the relation, love and the relationship with the divine and how that relationship helps us better identify and discern uh, love in our personal relationships. So this will be a good one. Uh, With that, Cece, do you want to get us started here? Sure. Thank you. So now generally one of the biggest challenges in in expressing and experiencing love is is you know sort of differentiate between what feels like love and what is love now this could be both for the self and for others that means that sometimes we feel 
feel that what I'm experiencing is love, but it might simply be infatuation. And conversely, when somebody else is doing something, maybe that person is expressing love, but we may think of it as, as maybe as friendship, maybe as kindness. So, so both ways, one of the key challenges in having a loving relationship is, is understanding or separating or distinguishing love from the many things that may look like love. So on a, put love on a spectrum, you could say on the negative side of the spectrum could be infatuation, which, which doesn't last for very long. On the positive side, there could be things which are not just love. They are, you could say, some kind of love, but they could be friendship, affection, kindness, and they are all good in their own ways. Mm, but they're not exactly the same as love. Yeah, this is this is kind of interesting because I feel like with Hollywood and culture, we almost kind of grow up with this kind of facade of what love actually is. We think it's, we kind of associate it with passion or with kind of losing ourselves in a sense. Um, and then as we, we grow older and we gain experience in different relationships, well, I guess my own experience, I kind of learned the hard way that that's really not, not love. And sometimes it's even like not even good for you. That happened to me. If you have a bad picker like me, <laughs> like I did when I was in my 20s. And uh, sometimes what feels good in the moment is not good for you um, in the long run. So kind of being able to differentiate between what is love and what is just general excitement and passion can be uh, can be a difficult thing. What do you think, Veda? Yeah, this this whole you know love at first sight it's just so flawed. <laughs> you know, it's in a love at first sight that in itself should make someone pause and say, "Really, love at first sight? What what you see is what you fall in love with." So it's extremely uh, uh, dangerous, if you ask me, because. If what looks good, just by the just by using one of our sensory faculties, we have five sensory faculties, right? Just by using one sensory faculties, we come to this conclusion that we're in love. And that's just still momentary. Just looking at someone, they look good. Some people I know, they say, I said, how did you fall in love with her? And he said, it was just her eyes. That was it. It was something about her eyes. And the girl also was like, oh, my God, you know, how deep is this person? He saw something in my eyes. I mean, there is so uh, lost in not having the proper tools to find what love really is. So this infatuation really is a serious uh, uh, drawback in finding that true love. So in my experience, I say, slow down, slow down, take it easy. Find out a little bit more about that person's character. Slow down with the eyes and, and this constant uh, uh, sen uh, attachment to someone based on uh, just sensory faculties being involved rather than anything deeper than that. So that's been my experience with dealing with a lot of boys and girls. I remember in our bhakti club at University of Georgia, we had about 1,400 boys and girls in the club. And one of the common uh, weekly issues that I would deal with is this, you know, this nonstop, you know, I really thought she liked me. I really thought he liked me. And I don't know what happened. And, and I would always ask, how did, you, how did you guys fall in love? It was always, it was just the way he walked. It was just, it was just, it just, it just took me, took my breath away. Or 
the way he, you know, looked at me, you know, it's just really this simple uh, simplicity. And I would say more infatuation, as Sissy like to use that word. And you get completely obsessed with that uh, simple connection. And simplicity, love is simple, yes, but it seems like it goes in the direction of something else other than love from that initial superficial attraction. So that's something yeah, like- I deal with on a weekly basis. Someone crying, someone got ditched, someone got picked up, someone's with someone else. It's just like this nonstop. Yeah, you almost you almost see something you're attracted to and then you kind of fall in fall in love with the idea of love and and almost convince yourself that that this is it. This is and then and then sometimes in that mood you even kind of get blinded or lose yourself in it just because you've kind of decided that this is what it's going to be. You're kind of attached to the idea of love. Yeah. You know, for, for me these modes that in yoga that we learn, these Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva, I uh, operated quite a bit in Rajas. And I could t- start telling when I was like in Rajas, Thomas, when I was, when I would, when I would feel that almost like this uncontrollable, like, like I have to reach out or I have to connect with this person or I can't stop like that kind of mood just generally speaking, even not just relationships, but that just when I would start feeling myself coming into that, where it was almost like compulsive, it was like a time for me to recognize like, okay, wait, I need to step back and make sure this, this is actually good for me. Because when we're operating in the mood of sattva, the mood of goodness, it's, it's controlled. It's when you're progressing forward, it feels natural. It doesn't, it feels um, organic it feels it, it doesn't feel like something's overtaken you and you have to do this or you have to be with this person or the highs and the lows. So I kind of started trying to tune in to those modes to help me get to healthier um, situations or relationships or um, yeah. And, and recognizing the difference of how I felt. I like that point that you said that you're attached to the idea of love. Yeah, it's almost like we humans seem to be trapped in a trapped in a it's almost like a custom made trap for us. In the sense that we have this very deep feeling in our heart we have a longing for love. It's both to love and to be loved. And simultaneously, not only that is there, there also feels, we feel that we have a right to love. Just like we talk about the right to life, the right to justice. Now, the American Charter of Rights doesn't talk about right to love. But there is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And one aspect of the pursuit of happiness is love and loving relationships. So at one side, on one side, we have this deep longing for love and the right to love. We feel that we have that. And yet, what is love or what seems to be love can be very difficult to discern. It's almost like we say that, you know, we have a thirst for water on one side and on the other side we are in a place just filled with mirages. So then because we need water so much, we are going to we are going to look for that water. And because there are mirages, we are going to get caught. We are going to get misled. And sometimes if you rush to a mirage and mistake that sand to be water, then we put the sand in the mouth, it just burns. So in one sense, this this differentiating between the water and mirage, between 
लव एंड थिंग्स दैट लुक लाइक लव यू कुड से लव लुक अलाइक्स सम पीपल हैव दे लुक अलाइक्स सो वी हैव लव लुक अलाइक्स so we could say this differentiating between this is one of life one of the most important life skills it's not just life skill for success in life but you could say it's almost necessary for survival otherwise we will end up hurting ourselves terribly of course we may hurt ourselves others may hurt us intentionally and unintentionally whichever way but that's the challenge for all of us so it is it is a it is a serious responsibility to gain just like if you want to drink water and not chase after mirage it's not just a casual curiosity it's a survival necessity so it's not just a philosophical thing what is love and what is not love but it is actually something far more serious is a necessity for our survival and for us thriving so it's interesting you 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 put it in that uh, context sissy <clears throat> because it seems like people in this world they are running for love and you saying it's a very important decision to make and it seems like it is the only thing that we are all chasing for in this world and sometimes we switch through so many partners in pursuit of that love sometimes we give it all up and try and develop relationships with other species interspecies love and then you know like people just fall in love with their dogs or or cats and or horses and so it seems like life is nothing but uh, a full-time dedication and pursuit of finding that love because the mirage you know you, you can see the you know there is water there but it's but it's not really there does that am i making any sense it's an observation i've had you know? yeah i was just thinking when he was talking you know we all have this need to be loved and we all have this need to give love and i think sometimes when our need to be loved is like much much bigger or like not fulfilled or like maybe we weren't loved as children or or we just we just haven't received a lot of love then that becomes our motive for a relationship and in that it's like a recipe for disaster because likely you'll attract somebody at that same level who's looking just to give or just to be loved and it can be really dysfunctional in that way because you're really just projecting like we talked about last class you're projecting your insecurities onto the other person so as he was kind of saying that i was thinking like before we get in a relationship it's so important to feel a level of love without another without a partner without a dog like we should all there should be a certain level of security that that we naturally feel that's almost like a prerequisite to really be able to give any love to anybody else that is this uh, there are there is this prayer in the upanishads the upanishads are basically the upanishads are basically spiritual literature which talk about uh, a philosophical understanding of life so they're similar to the gita and there they say that you know whatever love we experience in the world all that love that it is the love of the mother the love of the father the love of the friend the love of the siblings the love of wealth the love of position or power all these are ultimately pointers to the love of the divine so again continuing that metaphor of the ocean and the of of water in a mirage that to the extent we have experienced the ocean or we have the ocean accessible to us to that extent we won't be looking running after every single drop that comes our way but 
if we if this is the ocean and if say we are close to the ocean then if we see some drop here we see some drop here we see some drop here you know we won't just chase after the drops thinking that oh i want to get this i want to get that we will have a little more discernment because we have that ocean with us and without that ocean every single drop will chase it as if our life depends on it mm-hmm. and now of course this every metaphor has its limitations because in one sense if you have a ocean you may say why do we need a drop at all but in this particular situation yes the love of the divine is like the ocean but at the same time we are relational creatures and we we also need love in this world but it's almost like we need to have some experience some sense some glimpse of that ocean so that we don't keep chasing after the drops at any and every cost yeah i look for the drops but not at the cost that they take me far away from the ocean they take me far away from everything else that i value so that's where this connection to the divine now this connection to the divine is what we call a is established by bhakti yoga so this gives us what you're talking earlier about the inner security by which we can we can ensure that we don't get caught by uh, any and every semblance of love yeah that makes a lot of sense it's it's you see it play forward too like in the world if with people that have good parents or daughters that have good relationships with their dads they're more likely to have healthy relationships with going forward and it's it's that's not really the ocean so to speak but it shows that if foundationally you have that then then you're in a better spot and for me I, unfortunately i didn't so much have that but but i found god <laughs> well i'm finding i'm i'm working on a relationship with god and i witnessed firsthand how much that can give you how the depth of inner security that that relationship can give you in the absence of really any other relationship and and not even in the absence but in a even more strong and profound way because it's it's genuinely unconditional that the love that you that you get from god and that reciprocal relationship it's i was uh, thinking and, and, go ahead i was just going to say in a lot of ways sometimes i'm grateful for for the upbringing that i had and that i felt such such an emptiness because it led me to that and i feel like that was more than um than i would have got anywhere else though i maybe would have settled because it was it was more sustainable it it wasn't the ultimate so in a lot of ways i'm grateful for that but what were you saying veda i was just saying you know how <laughs> this drops of water when you're so thirsty every drop counts we are so hungry for love that a little resemblance of that love if we feel we're ready to give our life for that for that person or for for the source of that love and that's why this drops matter more to people than the vast ocean itself and i've noticed this is very difficult for people to think oh there is you know this ocean of love you know you know go through god and i'm like ah here we go you know i'm in this relationship we just we just got together and everything's hunky-dory little do we know that this drops will not quench the thirst and then when this drop runs out then we go for another drop and another drop and this is how we do it and so this whole process of bhakti inner security that we're discussing it's it's uh it's true 
because the yoga texts are giving us all this knowledge. But it's really, really hard because you're really thirsty. And that drop of water, it, it, it gives you hope. It gives you like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling satisfied. I'm feeling quenched momentarily. So you see, 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 I, I, the struggle that we're having. Yeah, I, it's not just we all have the struggle. I think um, there is, that's what the, uh, to just elaborate on this example in another sense. Yeah, Radha also mentioned earlier about the drops, the kind of upbringing we have. So we could say, you know, we are at a particular point and you could say there are drops all around. Mm -hmm. So there are some drops which take us toward the ocean and there are some drops mm -hmm. which take us away from the ocean. So in one sense, the drops themselves are not false. But where are those drops taking us to? So when we experience kindness, affection, love, in some healthy relationships, then those drops of love, they are also drops in the sense that even in the healthiest of relationships, none of the relationships are going to last forever. But while they last, they can be so fulfilling. They can be so meaningful. And uh, at that time, they can be so so it can be so overwhelming in one sense. So rather than simply dismissing the drop as, as worthless, we can also see that if a drop can excite me so much, if a drop can, uh, can enrich me so much, then how much more would the ocean enrich me? So, But the point is that there are drops which point us toward the ocean and there are drops which point us away from the ocean. That means... If we have an affectionate relationship, a loving relationship with someone who is devoted to the divine or who has values which enable us to connect with the divine more, then that is like a drop which is pointing us toward the ocean. So to say that we, because it's just a drop, don't chase after it, that is unrealistic. So the struggle becomes tougher if we are to think, if we think that I have to choose between the drop and the ocean, but the struggle becomes a little easier when I think that I have to choose between the drops that take me toward the ocean, the drops that take me away from the ocean. So you're not forsaking the drops completely, but it's only the, those drops which take us away from the ocean. I love this. Yeah. Wow. I just you just put the whole thing in context. You see, I that's I appreciate that. I feel like I almost made this mistake when I first came into Bhakti. I was like, oh, I don't need anybody. Now I have God. And then I remember reading the first chapter of the Gita when Arjuna's, um, his qualification for getting imparted this knowledge was his compassion and his love for his family members. And it was almost like an aha moment, like, oh, okay, it's impor that's important. That's kind of how we start to develop. That's like our fertile ground for really being able to, for, for our bhakti creeper, for being able to grow spiritually. And these relationships, these healthy relationships are like integral to that. And so then, then I was, then I kind of backtracked a little and was like, okay, I need, I need a healthy family situation to, to start to practice and develop some of those qualities. I, I, I like this uh, drops that are leading to the divine very much because in, in the communities that we try to have around the world, bhakti communities, and we call this groups, that we call them the sangha groups. That means like-minded people that are pursuing uh, the drops of water that are leading towards the ocean. And that's what this whole mm -hmm. Sangha that we have, and it's important to note 
for us, that drop that we are seeking uh, to make the right choice by joining the Sangha calls. Like we have these calls right now, this, this Sangha that we have, we have to see how to get more people to the Sangha so that we can together go towards the ocean. We actually will take questions. We can take reflections at the end. Thank you so much, though. So, when we talk about Sangha, and uh, the idea of association, in one sense, it is universal, but it's also specific essential for spirituality. Say, for example, any interest you want to pursue, if somebody is a, say, a baseball fan, then they would naturally want to want the company of people who like baseball. If somebody is into stock market, then they would want to know other people who are in the stock market. There's so much you can learn. So in that sense, having an association that supports our interests is a universal principle. But it's specifically essential in bhakti because in bhakti, we're not just talking about we are all, say, we're all interested in the divine. That is true, no doubt. We all share the same interests. But it is also that we experience the divine through that association. So now this is not always true for other things. It is that, say, a cricket match or a baseball match is different from a group of baseball fans. The action is at one place and the spectre is at another place. Now we could look at their emotions and their enthusiasm and that may affect it. That's fair enough. But the action is at one place and the spectator is at another place. But in bhakti, that's not like that. In bhakti, actually, in one sense, the action happens through, largely, through the representatives of the divine, through the spiritually minded bhakti yoga practitioners, bhakti yoga practitioners. So that, that concept that the, that the venue of action And the venue of observation of spectators, but they are not different. They are so, so largely the experience of the divine. It's not just the association. When I use the word the pointer, that there are some drops pointers toward the ocean, some drops pointers away from the ocean. So that that metaphor, okay, this drop is there. There must be more over there in that direction if I go. That's true at one level, but it's almost like each drop that we connect with, that we experience, each interaction of spiritual, with spiritually minded people that we have, there's a part of us which starts ex- longing for more experience, longing for a greater enrichment, and that, that spiritual aspiration, that spiritual attraction that is triggered that itself is one in one sense the experience of the divine. So it's a little subtle point and so the overall key principle that I'm mentioning is that it's this association what you mentioned with that it's vital that bhakti is not bhakti in one sense is not solitary spirituality. It is yes, there is a space for solitude for individual reflection, there's a place for it, but it is much more, you could say, social or community spirituality. We have multiple relationships with multiple people, and through those relationships, we move closer to each other and closer to the divine. 
Al, you want to speak something? Continue. Yeah, I was thinking how when we when we talk about sangha, I I try to always call it the 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 bhakti unity because you know the 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 community definition as you always have pointed out in the past is the common unity. So it is the bhakti that binds the community together. The common unity is the bhakti factor. So that is what I feel is is really uh, unique about this practice that holds us so tightly together. And I used to always uh, share this one story. I used to do gardening as a as something that I really relished. And in front of my house, I used to have eight garden beds, and I used to grow so much food just by throwing some compost there. It used to grow, and the snow peas, they have these beautiful tentacles, and I didn't know much about growing them. And they have a tendency, if you let them grow, they're very uh, gentle plants, creepers. And as they grow, if you don't put any stick, they fall over. But when you plant them next to each other, they hold on to each other and they just keep growing and growing and growing and you don't need any support because they're just holding on to each other. So when the wind comes, they still are holding on to each other. It was something that I really, really learned from these creepers and how much I used to admire that these creepers must have been uh, teaching me this principle of bhakti, how important it is that we need to have good association and hold on to each other, and together we grow. So that's something I think of whenever I think of community. That's a beautiful analogy. You know, I think... When you come into spiritual life, there's definitely a shift in your relationships, for, for me anyway. Like the relationships go from like kind of uniting on really, I guess, kind of from the ego, like people that support your uh, conceptions of things and people that when you are having a hard day will just kind of like validate you or be kind of things. Um. I guess, I guess, yeah, people that will kind of cheer you on in the way that you want to be cheered on that kind of feeds your ego. So it goes, the relationships go from like being ego based to like now my best friends are the ones that I can explain a whole story to and they'll, and they'll say, yeah, but, but what did you do that, that caused that? What was your responsibility in it? They'll, they're really trying to help me grow closer to the divine by, by purifying me, by really challenging me to, to kind of step into that more. Does that make sense? So instead of like a relationship focused around each other's egos and kind of building up each other's own egos, it's like a relationship that's centered around pulling you closer to the divine by, by purification. So I think the quality of relationships in Sangha are different than the quality of relationships in, in like before spiritual life, I guess for me anyway. Hmm. And in that way, they, they feel a lot stronger too. They feel, it doesn't feel like they're built on a house of sand. Like before, like, Oh, if I do this, this person won't accept me anymore. If I do this, because everybody accepts that we're all kind of flawed and we're all trying to, to get there together. And everybody's wants to help each other get there together. But at the same time in spiritual relationships, you're not like attached to what the other person does or doesn't do, or cause you're not looking at that relationship to feed your ego. You're looking at that relationship to bring you closer to the divine. So in that way, it's just like much stronger. It feels. Hmm. CC. Yeah, true. 
yeah so just couple of short points i'll have to leave by f- around 555 or so at the indian time so you know, the the idea that in an, in this is we're talking about in one sense love of two different kinds here you know love for the divine which we talk about is like the ocean and then love for others in relation with the divine so when we're talking about these two different kinds of love we talk about one thing that how in one sense this this love is meant to point us toward the love for the divine but there's another way of looking at it which is true no doubt that this love also points us toward the love for the divine also points us toward this love we started by talking about about differentiating between the drops that are taking us towards the divine the drops that are taking us away from the divine so we could say we want to differentiate between love and its look alike so now one of the key differentiators between love and looks alike is that love is characterized at least to some extent by an attitude of selfless service and look, the look alike of love are characterized by possessiveness so it's a self-centered or selfish possessiveness so when if we start with this just the spot of service and possessiveness that that basically mm-hmm. it i could we can talk about it from two different ways there are two people over here now in every relationship there is certain contribution and there is certain reciprocation or rather we could put it there is certain expectation and this whole set of contribution reciprocation contribution expectation when it's done it's that's what we feel is a reciprocal relationship with love can be one sided but a, a loving relationship can't be one sided it has to be some amount of reciprocation has to be there so now when we say selfless service that doesn't mean that there is only contribution and there's no expectation no both will be there in every relationship but in general when that is then this is the focus then each person is thinking is what can i do for you whereas in when the selfish possessiveness it's the exact opposite question now this is the same question which the other person should also be having then that's the that's a very healthy relationship both ways what can i do for you now when there is the relationship of selfish possessiveness then both ways it's what can you do for me or what can i get for from you that i want now it's not wrong to have this question but if this is the question that is primarily defining or driving the relationship then that is moving towards an unhealthy side and this is where generally if what you are giving to me now you stop giving that to me then why should i care for you if i am with you for your looks then your looks are no longer there and why am i there with you if i am with you for your money If your money is not there then why am i there with you if i am there with you for your fame for your popularity tomorrow that is not there then then why should i be there with you so that just brings me to the last point that you know there is love for what we have and love for who we are Hmm. so generally speaking 
many times we ourselves don't very really clearly differentiate between what we have and who we are many people for example their their net worth may be equal to their self worth so what i have becomes who i am and in such a situation it's very difficult to differentiate between somebody who cares for me for who i am and somebody who cares for me for what i have but in one sense through spiritual growth we ourselves learn the difference between who i am and what i have now that doesn't mean that what i have is unimportant it's important in its own place and i note it but and then so as we understand this difference then there's a we also are able to understand the difference between who cares but whose love means they care for who i am versus who cares for what i have and that way we can we can become more equipped to differentiate between between love and its lookalikes so to the extent when we talked earlier about security security is not just oh understanding that i am loved by god that is loved by the divine that's true it's also understanding that i have a spirituality a core that is different from my positions and to the extent we are secure in that core to the extent we can we have realized the core we have found some satisfaction in the core to the extent we can also see those who are looking at us for who we are and those who are looking at us for simply what i have Now, some people are very trans, very uh, i want to use the word transparent they are very obvious they are they just captivated by externals and it's it's not too difficult to note that but if we are ourselves externally driven then we we don't mind that we think oh that's great but if we are more internally situated then we can also see who is internally situated and move in that direction so see if you go up a little bit i just have one 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 thing to share here right there where you say is reciprocal i wanted to say on the other side and that other square selfishness is transactional that's something that i kept thinking how i don't know if you feel uh it's beautiful you know you could put it over here also as transformational that when we deeply connect with mm-hmm. somebody who cares for us then their caring for us inspires us to become a better person yes and our caring for them inspires them to become a better person nice yeah so you want to summarize you want- before you leave Oh, Radhi, you want to add something before we summarize? No, that was nectar. I loved all your points today. I love that last one. How you made the point of of super soul within. Yeah. Thank you. So we're discussing today about broadly the topic of how divine love helps us to discern. human love obviously the relationship between the two of them you know how the two are related that is the broad topic of our discussion so the first point we discussed was how you know love and its lookalikes differentiating them can be extremely difficult uh, it's it's tough but it's it's essential otherwise we can get we can fool ourselves or others can fool us and then the we discuss one principle to differentiate to learn to differentiate it is that we understand that each one of us has a relationship with the divine so to some extent if we are connected with this ocean and that itself gives us security and then we don't just randomly chase after any drop the ocean is like the love of the divine love the drops are like the human love but 
that's not the whole metaphor you could say a bigger part of the met- another part of the metaphor is that say where we are if we consider there is this ocean here and there are drops which point us toward the ocean and there are drops which point us away from the ocean so these are what we select and these are what we deselect so that means we choose spiritual association that enables us to go closer to the divine and that is this is the basis of we could say healthy relationships and then lastly we discuss that there is uh, there is how so in one sense this point is that the human law points us towards divine law and then here the last point was how divine law can point us towards what is what is real human law that is not its look alike so by being situated in the divine in our relationship with the divine we learn to differentiate between who we are it's not the same as what we have and then we can differentiate between who cares somebody who cares for who we are and somebody who cares for what we have and that's how we can discern say this is real love this is more like a facsimile of love which we need to deal with a little more caution so thank you very much hari krishna thank you so nice to be with thank all you. of you